What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 53. We did it. It's our one-year anniversary. I can't believe we're here. Ben, do you have anything to say? Well, the only thing that comes to mind is uh, you're listening to Draft Chaff. <laughs> little, little throwback for the OGs. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we'll get into a little bit more on that in just a minute. Uh, by the way, that was Ben. I totally botched the intro there, but you know what? We're, uh, <laughs> we're going to roll with it. Look, if this per- if this podcast was perfect, uh, it probably wouldn't exist anymore. I think it's it's the flaws that keep us going, keep us motivated. That is our fuel. But yeah, this week is our anniversary. Holy crap, dude! We we we're we're here. It's been a full year. Yeah. To give you an agenda on what we're doing this week, this week we are walking through the history of Draft Chaff, the whole shebang from the beginning of how the show was really incepted into how we got to where we are now a lot of the in-between for folks who haven't really been here the whole ride and you know a little bit of nostalgia for those who have so we'll go through that and then we have a bunch of questions to answer from uh folks in the discord and uh listeners and such so we'll get through those as well without further ado before we get into that we are going to of course have our usual housekeeping if you are listening to this and you're new to the show you just found it maybe through some of the giveaways we've been doing this week or you stumbled on it on reddit or something else if you're not in the discord you're doing yourself a disservice definitely jump into the discord we are talking about a whole bunch of different stuff there i mean the new um, afr spoilers the forgotten realms spoilers for the DD set are going on so we're going to be um, they're, they're just getting started. So we're going to be talking about those a lot, uh, in the next really coming days here. So definitely jump in if you're interested in talking about all those spoilers that are going to be coming up. We've got a lot. We actually are just kicking off a sealed league. Thanks to one of our discord members, Andy. sounds like it's going to be really fun. We're going to be playing with a bunch of standard sets right now, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's going to be super fun. Hopefully that kicks off and, and it's something we can do on a recurring basis. We have a bunch of folks who play EDH on a relatively regular basis. So if you're into all that definitely check out the show we would really appreciate you jumping into the discord um and uh communicating with us there also if you're interested in supporting the show you can do so on patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod that is our primary and really only sponsor as of now um we have a ton of options there for different tiers whether you want to give just a couple bucks a month or you know even more Things like stickers, access to the full show notes that we have, uh, custom deck building opportunities with us, access to unedited and uncut versions of the show with, you know, pre and post show nonsense most of the time. And, um, you know, you get a shout out on the show, all sorts of different things. One of those things that we have, we have a number of global Patreon goals as well. And one of those in the past was getting our episodes up on YouTube. And because of you lovely patrons, we are now doing that. So you know, things like that to come. And we have a bunch of other uh, ideas for these more global sort of uh, power-ups that are just going to help everybody in the community. So check out the Patreon if you're interested, patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. Next up, uh, we wanted to do a, a little brief reminder. We are still running a bunch of giveaways this week. At the time of recording, it's Wednesday, so we still have a few to run through. Uh, today's giveaway, as you're listening to this on Friday, is the super special playmat, which is awesome. Mm. Very excited for that. Um, hope you guys are as excited about it as we are. Um, but stay tuned for that. We're going to be announcing the winners to all the giveaways this week, tomorrow, Saturday, June 26th. So stay tuned for that. You're going to see that in the Discord and on Twitter as well 
and then we'll probably mention them again in the in the uh, show the following week just to make sure that everybody gets those um, in case you win and you don't follow us on Twitter or in the Discord or something like that. But definitely do that. All right. That brings us to our next sort of section of the show, which is our Cracker Draft type thing. And Ben's got something special for us here. Yeah, so it's the year anniversary. Uh, it's a miracle we lasted this long. Uh, you know what else? It's it's a miracle has lasted this long. Modern. Uh, I can't believe Wizards hasn't killed it yet. So I thought in honor of Modern and us surviving, I'd crack open some Modern Horizons too. Now, unfortunately, I could not get my hands on a draft booster. I looked at multiple stores, different local game stores. I could only find a set booster. So it's not going to be quite the same experience as uh, opening up a draft booster, but make sure you get that, that nice audio in there. Uh, that nice pack opening. Beautiful. So uh, we'll still treat it as if it's a draft booster. We'll, we'll, we'll see what we pick from this. Now, to be honest, I don't know too much about the MH2 limited environment. I've seen a bit of gameplay. I haven't drafted it myself yet. I've kind of been saving uh, my uh, first impression for when we actually play against each other. Where Zach and I are doing a little kind of sealed thing on our own uh, at some point in the next week. So I, I wanted to kind of not spoil myself too much. But I suppose this will be my first uh, look into a pack. Now, I guess I opened the pack backwards. That's a little strange. There's a there's a, a food token in the back, but then when I move the cards aside, then there's the, the backs know, cards. Whatever. I don't know. This doesn't make any sense. Let's just uh, let's just start from the top. So there's a nice art card there. Uh, it's art card for Razor Tide Bridge. Nice work, Rob Alexander. It's one of the indestructible lands, but can't draft that. First out of the pack, we've got a basic swamp. Then we've got something called Torox Canticle. Three and a black for a sorcery. Target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a card. That player discards that card, then discards a card at random. It's kind of like a throwback to him, the Torox. This feels like a really expensive effect. Uh, I, this feels overpriced, right? Yeah, not super interested. Next up, we've got Cabal Initiate. This is one of the black for a 2-1 human warlock creature. It has discard a card. It gains lifelink until end of turn. And it has threshold. Cabal Initiate gets plus one, plus two, as long as there are seven or more cards in your graveyard. Hmm. It's Weird. a free discard outlet. Yeah, that's true. But I feel like there's better. I know there's a, a, a four drop. I think it's like a dog or a wolf or something. And that's also a free discard outlet. This is probably the, the worst one of those. Yeah, that doesn't seem very exciting. Next up, we've got Mist Vault Bridge. This is one of those artifact lands. Uh, ETB is tapped. It's indestructible and it adds blue or black. Sure. I mean, lands are fine. I don't think I care enough about first picking one in this format, though. I'm with you, though. I, I really don't know the format almost at all. I haven't drafted it. I hardly looked into it because we didn't cover it on the show, and I tend to not play on MTGO, so I'm not super familiar with the format, but if we open a Chatterfang, I'm snapping that off. <laughs> yeah, I, I also, uh, I don't know. Once you're spoiled with Arena for so long, playing on MTGO just kind of hurts. I mean, I, I have heard that the format is very multicolor-driven. I don't know if Miss Vault Bridge is one of the ones that's higher-valued. I think the artifact colors do border on blue and red, though. I don't know how much they touch into black. I think black is mainly the, the discard and graveyard color. But next up, we've got... Well, I guess this is the, the themed portion of the pack, because we've got Dihada's Ploy. This is one blue-black for an instant. You draw two cards, then discard a card. You gain life equal to the number of cards you've discarded this turn. It also has Jumpstart. You may cast this card from your graveyard by discarding a card in addition to paying its other costs, then exile this card. So a, a neat little card draw spell. I guess it almost has like Kicker of its own mana cost. You kind of do it again the same turn and with Kicker being like you discard a card and then also pay the cost. It, it's a little weird, but you gain a little life if you do this twice in the same turn. And also it just kind of rewards you for uh, having, I guess, Jumpstarted it. Neat design, but yeah, I mean, you know. it it pairs well with any of your other discard effects. Should you have any, um, 
yeah. It, again, not super exciting. Next up is a, a pretty sweet one. Kaleidoscorch. Sick name. One in a red. Uh, it's a sorcery with Converge. Kaleidoscorch deals X damage to any target where X is the number of colors of mana spent to cast the spell. And it has flashback for four and a red. So you're kind of locked into casting this for two uh, at first, unless your opponent has something like a Thalia in play, like an effect that increases its cost. But uh, then uh, you can flash it back for up to five damage, depending on how many colors you've got in your deck. And I have seen people playing these artifact multicolor lands, so I think this is a pretty high pick. Yeah, I mean, it seems basic. It's a two drop, which, you know, just in limited formats in general, like you want to prioritize those to some degree. And this is one that scales well with the game, so seems pretty pretty good. It's probably the pick so far. Next up, we've got Road to Ruin. This is one of those nice uh, Amonkhet split cards, which I do love the design of these. They're a lot of fun. So Road is two and a green for an instant. Search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, and then shuffle. And then uh, Ruin is one red red. It has Aftermath. It's a sorcery, which means you can cast that spell only from your graveyard. doesn't matter how it got there. Uh, you can cast Road first, then Ruin after, or if you can get this in the graveyard somehow, just cast Ruin. Ruin deals damage to target creature equal to the number of lands you control. Sick. Love this card. Uh, this is yeah, fantastic design. Dope. Next up, we've got Strike It Rich. This is one red for a sorcery. Create a treasure token. Flashback two and a red. Huh. Uh, okay. I guess that might be good in like a, a very, very, very heavy like affinity style deck. Like a deck that cares about artifacts a lot or you just really need the ramp. But otherwise, I don't want to pay that much mana for this effect. Yeah, it's honestly not, I don't know, I'd struggle to call it ramp too. This is, I think, maybe a storm card for Red Green Storm. Could be. Uh, but it doesn't have a card draw, it's just kind of an extra, I don't know, it's it's just kind of adds a storm count. Whatever, it, and I guess if you flash it back, that helps too. Eh, it, it's a card. I could see, like, the, the kinds of decks that would make best use of this are the kinds of decks that I absolutely cannot stand playing. Uh, the the red, like, eggs decks or, or artifact nonsense. No, thank you. I'll stick with what I've got. Manamorphose, this is not. <laughs> yeah, no. Ooh, we got a rare. This one is Master of Death. This is one blue-black for a 3-1 zombie wizard. When it enters the battlefield, surveil two. At the beginning of your upkeep, if Master of Death is in your graveyard, you may pay one life if you do return it to your hand. So it's a nice little recurring recurring creature that surveils, which can be really great if you have a lot of graveyard shenanigans going on. Uh, otherwise, it's a three one that you're not like you're not unhappy to trade off. Yeah. So yeah, it seems seems fine. I I think that's a a fine card. I'd probably take it over anything else we've seen so far. I mean, it is a multicolored card, so you got to keep that into consideration. But I mean, black blue does seem to be having a decent amount of the uh, the whole graveyard thing going on. So. This is also an infinite discard outlet. I mean, yes. paying one life, who cares? You can discard this to, I mean, we saw just in this own pack, uh, a creature-based effect that cared about discard as well as a jumpstart. So yep. that really kind of negates that discarding a card problem. And that's, you know, perhaps not the best pull in the world, but, you know, still kind of cool. Aren't you building like a Sultai graveyard uh, commander deck? You want this? I am. Uh, perhaps, perhaps. Ooh, next up is, uh, <laughs> if this one, that last one was for you, this one's for me. Solitary Confinement, uh, two and a white enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice Solitary Confinement unless you discard a card. Escape your draw step. You have Shroud. Prevent all damage that would be dealt to you. Yeah, I love that card. I used to play it in Zedru, EDH. Uh, it was, oh, so it was, this is a reprint. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I, I guess in like a new to modern reprint. Right, exactly. Yeah, this is funny. I guess 
if you're playing a pillow forty enough deck where like you're drawing cards through white pillow fort esque like shrines or some effect that, that you don't really care about that's kind of incidental, you don't really care about the whole skip your draw step thing if you're triggering off like enchantresses and that type of thing. I don't know. I I might make a pillow fort deck with something like this. Well, that's at some that's point. why I played it in Zedru because Zedru lets you give away all your stuff and then you draw cards for all the things you've given away. So you just place altar confinement. Nobody can touch you and you just draw a million cards anyway. Right, that's sweet. So next up, we've got an old art card here. This is Glimmer Baron, which I believe is one of the, the more sought-after commons in the set. This is green for a 1-2 oof with absolutely adorable art. I don't know if you can see that there. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Just a little... I'm not entirely sure what an oof is, but it looks pretty cute. It has sacrifice a token. Glimmer Baron gets plus 2, plus 2 until end of turn. It's an Atog, I guess. Yeah. And last but not least... Uh, I'll, I'll say we missed out on the monetary value of this pack, but we certainly earned the fun. Uh, this last card, I think, is going to be for you. It is a foil sketch card. At least it looks foil. I can't really tell for sure in my light right now. I think it's foil, though. It's probably one of the foil. Foils. Yeah, a foil art card. Uh, er, er, like one of the sketch ones. This is Ravenous Squirrel. Oh, this yes. Is... Oh, yes. <laughs> Ship it. This is black-green hybrid. So I guess one wither bloom for a 1-1 one, one squirrel. Whenever you sacrifice an artifact or a creature, put a plus one, plus one counter on Ravenous Squirrel. And it has one black green sacrifice an artifact or creature. You gain one life and draw a card. <laughs> and oh, this is kind of funny. Uh, instead of flavor text, it's replaced with the art direction for the card. Oh, that's and cool. the, the art direction reads, action. This is a squirrel who eats everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Nice. I'll be putting those aside in a pile. Uh, we can honestly just add those up. And, and Zach and I are going to be cracking a box of this together at some point. So we will have to see if we can get a little more lucky on our pulls. I don't know. Hoping to get a Ragavan, maybe some fetches, something like that. But they can't all be winners. That's true. I guess we don't have like a real pick for that pack because neither of us know the format. It was just kind of a like, let's open a pack and see what we get kind of thing. I probably would still have taken the... Uh, Master the, of the, Death, the, right? Yeah, the Master of Death, the... Three mana, three one. It it just has so much good synergy with the rest of the format that I think. Yeah. Uh, I think it's it's a fair pick. Ravenous Squirrels up there too, though. I think that's a great card. Yeah. I mean, not that that that's pack was clearly seeded, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I would probably go with the Master of Death. Seems kind of fun. All right, on to our Teferi Tibble. If you're new to the show, this is the section where Ben and I talk about a high and a low from the previous week, kind of give you an insight into what's going on in our lives outside of the show. So, uh, Ben, why don't you kick us off? Right. So. My Teferi this week is that it's the last week of school, uh, which means very soon, in exactly a week from right now when we're recording, I'm going to be free, at least for a while. We've got some work to do over the summer, but for the most part, I'm going to be spending the summer laying on the beach, surfing, doing nothing, probably seeing people I haven't seen in a while. So good stuff ahead. Uh, that's exciting. I've kind of been doing pretty well in Limited recently. I've, I've switched over to, to traditional drafts. I've kind of missed drafting with people and drafting sideboard cards. And I think I kind of got into a best of one funk uh, where I was doing fine, but I wasn't really happy. And I think despite the, you know, less than ideal prize payout, if you can manage to 3-0 a traditional draft. I mean, I suppose we could crunch the numbers on this, but uh, at least every three drafts, you net positive. And that's been working so far. So I've been having fun doing that. And my last Teferi, uh, there's this podcast that I'm on, and it just hit its year anniversary, so that's pretty cool. I think that's that's worth uh, celebrating. Oh, sweet. Congrats. <laughs> yeah. And actually, um, to uh, just, just to that point about traditional, there was a, a Twitter thread going on 
I think it was started by Sirkovitz. I could be wrong about that. It might have been started by Hululu, but both were involved in the conversation, and it was discussing the expected value of best of one versus best of three limited, and it turns out they're actually much, much closer with the average person's win rate than than you would have anticipated. So. I have to check that out. I did miss the like, uh, sideboarding and playing around certain cards. I found that I think test of talents and negate have gone way up in my book since I've been playing in, in best of three. Now that I know, for example, I, I was able to snag like a, a body of research with the test of talents, mm-hmm. like just getting good value out of cards that might not see such like a strong swingy play in best of one. Although I do think they're main deckable in best of one still, just sometimes they fall flat. Uh, and my tidbit this week, uh, it's time for me to start prepping to move. I move in about a month. Yeah, I got to start packing stuff up. On one hand, it's nice to be able to go through and sort things and kind of self-inventory. I got to do all the, the unfun stuff. For example, I have no idea how I'm getting some of this stuff out my door. <laughs> I have to do a little bit of prep work for that. But, you know, I'll worry about that next week, you know? <laughs> yeah, you'll say that next week and the week after, and then you'll be like, I have to move tomorrow and I haven't prepped a single thing. It's fine. It's if fine. you need any help, definitely time. let me know because uh, I don't have a big car, but I can help move things over. Will do. W- would you like to uh, take my entire Magic the Gathering collection? I-, I trust that you will, will, you know, take anything too valuable out of there. You know. Yeah. Sure. Right. I definitely won't cannibalize your Bruna deck because it's a Nishtrasi <laughs> that doesn't deserve to be. Although you did convert it to be more more control related, which yeah really does make me feel good. So. Look, I put Counterspell in that deck. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I never cast Counterspell. Man but after my anywho, own heart. How about you? Yeah, so for me, uh, well, obviously, we've been doing the show for a year. And I think, honestly, the biggest surprise, outside of the fact that we're even still doing this, because I don't know that, and again, we'll get into all this in a bit, I don't know that either of us ever expected we would be doing this a year after we started. But to me, the more surprising bit is that it's already been a year. Like, that... Mm. It's kind of funny because the the pandemic made everything feel really slow. I felt like 2020 felt like a very long year. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of doing the podcast, it does not feel like it was long at all. I feel like we just started doing this thing. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. So very surprising, and it's just it's just really awesome to see that there are still people who listen and come back week after week, and people who, uh, you know, really look for the show or like are excited when the new episodes come out. It's it's really really awesome. Can't thank all of our fans and supporters enough. It's it's been been a cool ride, and we're excited for what's coming next. Don't get all sappy yet. We have a whole section of the show just for that. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, other parts of my Teferi, uh, I had a really solid return to drafting this week with, with Theros Beyond Death. I was telling Ben before the show, I don't think I've dra- done a single draft for something like two to three weeks. I, I did go away for a week, like into the middle of the woods with no internet access. So that was yeah. that was part of that. But it had been a while since I'd done a draft and I was not really familiar with Theros Beyond Death. I hardly drafted that format. Most of that format that I played was sealed mm-hmm. originally because I took a, a few months long hiatus from Magic right after that set came out. So didn't do a ton of drafting there. I but I, but I did fine. I, I drafted a deck that went six three and don't really think it deserved to. Um, and I had one game that <laughs> no, was it like solid. it was okay, but it, it was just I mean it, it really just relied on the back of Underworld Ragehound. Like I just had three of those and a handful of okay removal spells and it was just like all right i'm just gonna slam a bunch of four twos and three ones and hope that you it have works myers grasp like that that that's card's true. great that's true my tip this week is that i'm still a little congested and have a bit of a small cough but it's far far better than it was two days ago when we recorded the last episode 
or um, three days yeah. ago when we recorded the last episode. So yeah, it's getting there. Very excited that that that's going away, and I'm starting to feel my, more myself. Sweet. Now, typically at this point in the show, we would have a listener question. However, we have a lot of listener questions today, so we were gonna skip the main one for the show and just get into our main topic. So the main topic is uh, we did it. I guess <laughs> we we made it a year. This is the part where we can get a little sappy. So uh, we did it. Thank you as the listener for sticking with us and making this kind of wild idea into reality. We were talking a bit before the show about how few creations actually take off. And to be honest, I'm not entirely sure if we know why people started listening to us. I honestly thought that we might do this for forever and never pass like two or three listens, you know. So to, to you listening right now, honestly, just thank you. It, it means the world to us. We are shocked and stunned by this every day, but it's just been a fantastic experience and has honestly made quarantine and COVID like this is one of the highlights for me. Like when I look back in, in 15 years at the pandemic and someone asked me, like, what did you do to get through it? I'm going to think, well, this podcast happened and I got introduced to all these awesome people online and it is actually a community. And then who knows what happens next after that? So. Shout out to all of you that have been listening uh, to us ramble about nonsense and drafting and limited in life and whatever else has come up. Big shout out to the patrons that have donated their own money to, to us and really just shown that level of appreciation. We are speechless. You're all the best. Yeah, I don't really have anything else to add there. It's absolutely incredible, and we really won't ever be able to thank you all enough, but thanks. Okay. So one of the things we wanted to make sure we did in this episode in particular, being that it's an anniversary, we're doing a lot of reflection, a lot of re reminiscing, but we've never really told the full story of how the show started. And a lot of folks that are listening now are relatively new to the show. We've got a lot of new listeners and a lot more engagement in the Discord on a more recent level in the last couple of months here. So we figured it'd be nice to kind of take a nice chronological stroll down memory lane. We'll start off how the whole thing began and basically every step in between, every milestone in between like till the anniversary now, and then we're going to go into your questions. So first of all, how it all began. And Ben, I kind of figure we can go with, with a little bit of a Q and a session here between the two of us. If, if mm. uh, that is something that you feel interested in, if you have any questions for me and you know, back and forth or whatever, but basically one day, like I've always been the type of person who has had all these ideas floating around in my head and I'm just like, Oh, that would be cool. But like, I'm never going to do that. And, oh, this, this other thing would be pretty sweet. I'm never going to do that. And spoilers were coming out, and I was kind of starting to get back into magic, but I was on a long hiatus, like I said, a few months long hiatus, probably close to a year, actually, where I was playing Runeterra. I was actually writing Legends of Runeterra content for a website called runeterraccg.com, and I had been writing some articles for them. I actually started my own blog about, the, about Runeterra, and then they picked me up from the blog I had started. I've been writing there and so I wasn't really playing uh, playing magic for quite a while and every time a new set came out in that period you know Ben and I were still talking about it even though I wasn't really playing the game yeah and that's yeah. been something that connected Ben and I magic in general has been something that connected Ben and I for a long time like back in high school um, so it's always been something that we've kind of used as a way to keep in touch even when we weren't really like near each other or, or whatever so we would still keep up with all the sets and one day I was like kind of in a slump and realized like I don't necessarily know if I want to keep writing this Runeterra content and I kind of want to get back into Magic because none of my friends played Runeterra so it's kind of it didn't really resonate the same way that that Magic does. To be fair, I tried. 
and it was fun. It, it was pretty fun. Um, what was the the spores? Was that a deck in it? What's what I'm thinking of? Don't remember. I don't think there are spores. Oh, puff caps. Puff, puff, caps. puff caps. That yeah. was a very fun deck, and uh, <laughs> that's all I remember. <laughs> yeah, I mean the game's great. I actually am a huge fan of the game. The problem for me was just that I didn't have anybody in real life that I was like close with or like good friends with that played, so I didn't feel very invested and in, like didn't have people to turn to on a regular basis and be like, hey, look at this. I, I mean, I had some people online that I had met through writing content for Runeterra CCG, but all that to say, I eventually was just, Ben and I were talking about a set, the summer set that was coming out at the time. It might've been M21 or the one just before M21. Mm. And we were just chatting and I was like, hey, we talk about magic all the time. Do you want to just like do a podcast or something? Like, do you want to just record <laughs> us, record our conversations about limited and see if it sticks? Like, just to be completely clear, neither of us were expecting to have like anything close to, you know, LR or Lords Limited status as far as like how big the show gets. Um, and we're obviously not there right now even, but it was just like a, hey, we talk about this all the time anyway. Why don't we just record it and upload it and maybe somebody <laughs> will get a kick out of it? Yeah. What were you, what was going through your head when I first suggested that though? That, that was kind of the same thing almost. Uh, I remember one of the first things that I said to you was like, we're not just going to be knockoff limited resources are we <laughs> yeah like, that's, that was a big thing at the beginning like we were like we didn't want to try to replicate what we had already seen in those shows because a we respect the people in those shows a lot and mm. b they're already doing something that's really great and to just try to copy that a we wouldn't get very far <laughs> nobody would listen to us yeah. if we were knock off lsv and marshall yeah and you know it just wouldn't have been genuine so yeah that was a that was a big concern at the beginning i think also like we knew what we didn't want to be but we also had to figure out what we were going to be so that's why we started we kind of started spreading out all over the place we started coming up with potential ideas for topics that's where mental magic came from that you know how people talk about like the pixar brainstorming session where a bunch of dudes at a diner or something they wrote down some stuff on a napkin and that turned into like toy story and finding nemo and all that uh we had our equivalent of that uh which was i guess like mental magic uh, the way we do format breakdowns, although that's also evolved over time, and uh, the Flavor Town episodes, like these kind of things that give us our unique flair, which honestly I think we're still kind of sorting out, and I think that's fine. I don't think we have to know exactly what we are, but I think more recently we've kind of settled on this limited for people that you know want to focus on having the most fun when playing limited, and if winning is the fun way to do that, you know that's great. But we kind of hit all the all the nails we can, I guess. Would you agree? Like, like I said, we're still figuring out what we're going to do. It's only been a year. That's not that much time. Yeah, no, I, I do agree. And I think, you know, the way that whole conversation started too, like Ben was saying was, okay, we know what we don't want to do. Or, let me back up a second. It was, okay, we're going to do a podcast. What's it going to be on? Well, it's going to be unlimited because that's what we talk about on a regular basis. That's what we know the best, whatever. That's what we have the most fun with. Fine. Hmm. What don't we want to do? We found out what that was, and we kind of set some guidelines on, okay, we're not going to do X, Y, Z. And then it was, yeah, as Ben said, like, what, okay, we know that, but what are we actually going to do then? And it started with a lot of the stuff that we wanted to see in some of the shows that we listened to, which was the mental magic aspect of things. Like, I think, and especially at the time with the pandemic being a huge problem and lockdowns being a big problem and everybody kind of going crazy for being inside for too long. One thing that we realized was like a lot of shows and like content creators in the magic ecosphere don't really talk about mental health 
as a full topic very often. Like a lot of folks will say, hey, mental health is important. Take a break or, you know, whatever. But not too many folks spend a ton of time on it as like full episodes or full segments of a show or something like that. So Hmm. that was a big one that we wanted to talk about. And I know Ben and I both have gone through periods of time where our mental health wasn't necessarily in the best place. So it was it was something that, you know, maybe our experiences would be able to help other people because nobody's ever alone in that kind of situation. And we wanted to make people feel that way. So that was where that kind of started. Uh, and the flavor town thing was flavor is one of our favorite things with magic. Like that's one of the things that gets Ben and I talking about the show so frequently is just or so, not the show, the game so frequently is just like, oh my gosh, did you see this card that they, they really did this, you know, and we were doing that with Strixhaven constantly with the, all the different yeah. flavor stuff they put in. And we both like lore a lot. So, you know, that, that kind of solidified there, but then we were like, okay, we, we need to actually talk about limited though, like as a format probably. And so that kind of evolved. We, we, went with some of the more like the format breakdowns and and you know took some lessons from from other shows that we've seen like limited resources and loads limited and things so it was kind of a hodgepodge at that point yeah i think ultimately this show is just two best friends talking about a game that they care about a lot yeah and hopefully that's how it comes across because that that was the the inceptual idea right like that is what we set out to do the funny part was we had like no idea what to call it at first. We were just like, <laughs> we I can't remember. Actually, we should have done a little bit more research in, and tried to track down some of the old names that we floated oh, around. Because those old files, man. I don't remember almost any of the other suggestions we had, but we did bounce around a few of them. And I personally am more of a, I'm, I'm generally a more serious person, I think, on average than Ben is. Ben's a little more jovial, a little more fun. I'd agree. So I was like pitching these ideas that were like a little bit stricter. And I think Ben pitched the draft chaff idea. I believe I did, yeah. And it was just like, okay, that's kind of perfect because we are not experts. We are not pros. <laughs> and we often have a lot of fun with just the stupid crappy cards that nobody cares about. So it just, it really made sense. Uh, and I think it worked pretty well. I'm honestly excited to see what more we can do with draft chaff as as a whole like I, I think we it's it's getting about time we have a new episode that delves into draft chaff itself uh the nature of chaff and perhaps with a more data-driven limited focus i i like incorporating that now too but the funny part about all of this was that it kind of stuck and we we got like i think we got like 30 downloads on our first episode uh, in the, in a week and we were like holy crap this is the best thing that's ever happened to us. Yeah, I think I remember because I've run like all the accounts mostly. So I remember texting Ben and I was like, uh, dude. And then it was just, that was like basically the whole text message. And then I a couple minutes later, I sent him a screenshot of like our Podbean account that said we had like 23 or 24 listens on the first episode. And he, we were both just like, that's a fluke. There's no way. <laughs> like how? I was like, did you do that? Like, did you listen to that 24 times or something? Like, <laughs> Just put it on repeat. Uh, but, but then we put out a second episode, and the second episode was a little bit more than that. And the third was a little bit more than that. And it was it was a weird situation for us, because I, I don't think we ever expected to get two dozen listeners. No, and, and I think something must have gone right. You could call it luck. You could call it fate. You could call it whatever you want. But, uh, I mean... There was some element of randomness to this. Oh, absolutely. I'm pretty glad that we, we uh, lucked out here, you know? Yeah, and then, so that kind of segues us into the next sort of subtopic we wanted to talk about as far as the history of the show goes, and that was picking up our first sponsorship. And what what we kind of tried to do is once we realized, okay, there are people who are coming back week after week and listening to the show, 
maybe we can do something with this. And I was like, let me just throw a dart on the board and see what sticks because RunterraCCG.com, that website I had been writing Runeterra content for, is actually owned by the same folks who own MTGA Zone and it's run by the same people. So I was like, hey, I have a good relationship with the Runeterra side of that house. Maybe I can turn that into something for us. So we reached out and at first it was like, yeah, I don't think we're ready for this uh, from the from the MTGA Zone side. And we were like, okay, fine. You know, that's totally cool. We just, you know, thought we'd float it by. And eventually they came back to us uh, maybe a month later and we're like, hey, why don't we give this a shot? Which was huge for us because it meant we were going to get a much bigger viewership because that's the biggest problem, right? Is how do we even get this in front of people? Let, mm. let alone them deciding they enjoy it after they've heard it already for the first time or whatever. But how do they even get to see it? What's the big problem? Yeah. Uh, and MTGA Zone's popular, so. Yeah, and that kind of led to the whole uh, the rebrand with our current intro. Uh, as a matter of fact, some people might not even remember the original intro. Why don't we toss that up real quick? <laughs> You're listening to Draft Chat. Episode 1. Yeah, so we we did end up having like we started out. I I did all the stuff that I could with that, and I tend to be the type of person who's like I have to do everything. So I try to learn photo manipulation and editing and all that kind of stuff. So I made our first logo, which I don't really know what we were going for, but it was like a chalkboardy kind of thing with like torn cards around it. And I was happy about the torn cards because that fit the chaff thing, but. And I guess we were trying to go for like a learning element and like we were teaching something. So that's why the chalkboard kind of made sense to me. But it did look a little rustic and I don't think it quite fit what we were going for. Yeah. But the MTGA Zone folks hooked us up with with Ashton on, on Twitter. Great artist and did they redid all of our art, made it what you see now. And then I went and redid our, our intro music. Ben did the original and then I did the groundwork for the one you hear today. And then Ben Ben tweaked it a little bit to to get it to where it is. So that's kind of the history on that. But it was that was great. Like that was so big to us. Like getting yeah. Honestly, even though we're no longer affiliated with MTGA Zone, shout out to everybody there for kind of taking the risk on us. And you know, I think things like that need to happen in order for new content creators to really get off the ground. Sometimes, uh, if no one helps each other out, then you know, <laughs> what's going to become of like the creator space, so to speak. Yeah, and I mean, to be 100% transparent there, they probably came out of that relationship at a loss. Like, they put out money for us to get the, the art redone. I think the goal was that we were going to... And, and I don't think we had great, clear understandings of what each of us were bringing to the table when we started that relationship. But, you know, it, it started out as, like, we were going to post stuff on their site, which was basically art, quote-unquote articles of our show. They were just, like, we would post the episodes up on the site. Um, and I think they expected us to do more writing, like actual articles as well, but that was never like super clearly stated. So it kind of got muddled a little bit. And then uh, eventually that's kind of what led to them saying, hey, this isn't really working for us. Uh, we're going to have to we're going to have to stop. But, you know, yeah, like Ben said, we got a huge break from that. And we had I mean, from from you can see like in our viewership history when that happened, <laughs> because we yeah. went from like. At that point, I think we were maybe at like 75 to 80 listeners on average. And then it spiked to like 400 like the next week. Yeah. 
I think a lot of our current listeners probably found us through MTGA Zone. So again, shout out to MTGA Zone. Good stuff. And honestly, they're, they're still making good stuff over there. Oh, yeah. I still use the site. Like, we still have a fine relationship with them. It just was like, a, hey, we're not really getting out, getting what we want or expected out of this. So we're just going to just going to stop it. And that's that's totally fine. Uh, you know, no hard feelings there. But um, it gave us the break we needed. And then so that that was like the end of the summer. Right. We started the show in at the end of June. And in fact, um, we started the show on June 26th was the first day that it aired uh, of 2020. And so that was like the end of the summer around August when we started that relationship with them. And then, you know, two months later, three months later, I think it was November, we had our first guest on the show. Speaking of lucking out, we had Marshall Sutcliffe on, which for those that are listening right now that haven't heard, like go back and listen. That was, I mean, you can you can clearly hear while listening that we are just mind blown by the fact that he decided to take time out of his life to come on. I, I think honestly, we set the bar really high for ourselves. Not that our, our uh, subsequent guests haven't followed up. Obviously they have. I think all of our guests have been just fantastic. Oh yeah, but like the problem is, how do we maintain this we, the, this quality of guests? <laughs> like we we set a high bar and we've hit it, but can we do this forever? <laughs> it, it's funny though because it it actually did. So a little background on that. There's a long, long story into how we got Marshall on the show. I noticed that his Twitter DMs were open. I said, "Hey, we have this podcast. Would you like to join us as a guest?" And he said, "Yes." That's the extent of it. He's a very chill dude, very easy to work with. <laughs> so cool. Um, but as you know, to your point, Ben, he was so chill about it and was so open and like willing, like readily available to answer. It kind of spoiled us because we have reached <laughs> out to some other folks and not gotten responses, which I think is totally normal. All of these people are very, very busy. Yeah. yeah. But it was like, oh, we'll just have X on the show. And like that person's ex- incredibly busy. It might not be, you know, that easy to get to happen. And, you know, it was so easy to get Marshall on the show that I think it, it kind of spoiled us a little bit. But yeah, honestly. I hope someday that we get to go to another in-person magic event and we get to see him in person, which we actually did meet him once uh, years and years ago. But I hope we get to now that we've actually, you know, talked to him and, and been on a call with him because uh, I don't know. I love to buy him a drink. Like we, 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 he, he stuck his neck out for us. So honestly, what, what, a, what a stand up guy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was that was mind blowing. We got like a screenshot of all of us in the same chat room and stuff. It was it was really something special. And I think we'll probably both take to our graves like that was that was amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So then from there, um, we kind of just have have been on a slow growth since. Right. We hit a uh, we hit a a Patreon goal. We started uploading YouTube content and we're kind of continuing this like steady growth, which I hope we continue to do. And now uh, the biggest update recently is that we're we're now writing for Cardsphere. Yeah, so that's that's interesting because it's not technically a sponsorship. They they aren't like paying us to produce the show, but but we're writing articles for them, so it's definitely an affiliation. And mm-hmm. the folks over there are great too. Like, oh yeah. So far, we've had nothing but amazing interactions with them, and they have a great very diverse group of folks writing for them and and sponsored content through like their the youtube shows they have and the different podcasts they have and it's been a pleasure working with them and looking forward to seeing where that takes us as well because you know again the more eyes the more ears the better and we're happy to be affiliated with people who are actually genuine good people mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you think we have to do to get on i hate your deck that new edh show that they have Probably just keep writing. I'm sure when we are more known in the uh, in the card sphere sphere, <laughs> the card sphere, like you know, those are interactions. I think we could probably 
uh, continue to build up. And it probably would be good to have some of them on as guests on our show. And, you know, oh, that totally. would lead to other things. We definitely it's, weren't talking about that earlier. No, not at all. It is interesting, though, because we are at at the core a limited show right and we do like to do a lot of things that aren't limited centric we talk about commander relatively frequently and we talk about random nonsense a lot mm-hmm. so it, it there's like a fine line we tried to ride with the with the guests we have on and try to get guests who are more limited focused in the content they create but that's not you know always necessarily what we'll do we'll probably other have like other random folks on who don't necessarily have much background in limited but are just great magic personalities and you know that would be cool too and Actually, that kind of goes into the next thing we want to mention. We are going to have a survey available because we're at the end of our first year. We wanted to make sure that we get valuable input from you, the listener. We haven't done this really yet, and we really should have. We should have been doing this far more frequently, and we hopefully will continue to do this far more frequently in the future. But we have a a survey um, that we are going to send out. It's going to be in the episode description here. It'll be in the Discord. It'll be on Twitter. It'll be on the YouTube show please 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 if you haven't interacted with us in any capacity at all please fill out the survey it'll help us greatly to not only like understand what what you folks are getting out of the show but also to know how we can continue to build the show in a way that you most enjoy listening to it so it'll help everybody out if if you fill that out and props to koga in the discord for suggesting that we do this sooner rather than later so thank you very much koga for that Right, so I think it's time to jump into the second part of our show. We got some listener questions, and oh man, we've got some good stuff coming for this one. So we had this this open uh, opportunity for people to submit questions via voice if they wanted to, or, or via Discord. We do have a voice question coming up, so we'll get to that in a bit. But I want to start off with one from Rob Dies at the End. Ready? A group of cyber criminals takes down the entire Draft Chaff podcast, including all of the backups. They let you keep one episode. Which are you keeping? And I would like to add an asterisk. We should immediately rule out the Marshall one, right? Because like that's both of our first pick. Yeah, I mean it is. It is easily our first pick. I also, you know, thank you, Rob, for for expecting that we keep backups. <laughs> we do. I assume you do. We yeah. do, but it, you know, it's just it's just very good of you to assume that of us. <laughs> Given the nature of the show, I think it's it's not a far stretch to think we don't keep backups. Right honestly our other interviews our interviews all feel so priceless you know i almost want to discount all the interviews i think out of our episodes i've got to go vector theory that's just my baby i i can't i can't watch them delete that these damn cyber criminals honestly i would have to agree with you i definitely didn't have as much to do with that episode as you i like you totally spearheaded that vector theory is absolutely your baby I'm going to defer to saying it's the podcast's baby, but that's because I'm selfish <laughs> and want to also have a bit of that pie. No, no, no. But it is. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, but it is. I mean, it was your brainchild. You did come up with it. And I think it, I would want to keep that around because that's that's different. That's something that the Draft Half podcast has done that nobody else has and is something that I think actually adds to the magic community in a serious way. And, and I would like to keep some sort of legacy around of the show if if nothing else. Like if we did like a Flavor Town episode, it's probably something we had more fun actually recording, but hmm. it, not as lasting. A follow-up question from Rob. The same group of cyber criminals really enjoyed your content. They downloaded the arena and they have time to listen slash read slash watch exactly one piece of media about magic, whether it's limited or otherwise. What article or podcast episode or video would be most helpful for them? Now I'm assuming this could go for anything. And not just our content, in which case I would say drafting the hard way. 
That was exactly my answer, assuming <laughs> they already know how to play Magic. If they don't, I would have said <laughs> the Professor's video on how to play Magic the Gathering. Yeah, the Professor's or um, I suppose one of Day 9's. Uh, Day 9 has some, some good videos where he has some pretty popular personalities on and, and it's very friendly intro to Magic-esque. Very true. And there's actually a an extra optional bonus question. Oh, you know us, Rob. We're, we're taking it. You don't really want to help out these hackers at all. What is the worst piece of plausible sounding magic advice you can give them to get your revenge? <laughs> oh, man. Interesting. So this this could go a couple of ways. One of my first inclinations is, is to suggest playing all your instants on your own turn. <laughs> because you you guarantee you're, if you're maximizing your mana use or something like that. I don't know. I could probably spin it into a way that actually makes it sound like it's something you should be doing. So that's kind of where my head started. I have something similar. I would probably advise that they always cast all their spells on their first main phase. That way they don't forget in their second main phase. Yeah, no, that's, that's a big one. The other thing I was thinking actually was to make sure you mulligan until you have like your whole hand is lands because if you don't hit your lands, you can't cast anything. So the lands are far more important than the spells. Oh my God. Or, um, you know, a, a classic is blocking to maintain a high life total. You want to stay as close to 20 life as possible because when you hit zero, that's it. You're dead. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Just, just chump away all the time because you can't let your life total drop. Oh my God. The other day, I, I will say playing traditional, you don't always encounter like experienced magic players sometimes it feels like people just go there and it's also unranked so <laughs> the other day somebody jumped my 4-4 with a 3-3 they were at 10 oh wow oh man it hurt it hurt me like i don't think there's anything in strixhaven that, that does the damage there right like what do i need double double study right from 10 yeah or like crackle with power or whatever yeah i don't know it felt bad i felt a little sorry for my opponent but you know it's what it is <laughs> Yeah, it does happen. All right, Sirkovitz is coming in here with asking the big questions. If we were potatoes, how would we like to be prepared and served? Turn a little <sighs> one pack around on us, huh? Well, for me, it's it's curly fries, no doubt. Ooh, interesting. I'm a big curly fry fan. With like Old Bay or... You know, whatever fits your fancy. Old Bay fries are great. And if you don't live on the East Coast of the United States, you may not know what Old Bay is because it's actually not readily available in most places. Is it not? No, it's not. It's it's very much. Oh my god! What? Uh, it, it may be now. It may be now. Huh. Like it may have propagated out enough. Now it's been yeah. it's been out for a very very long time. But Old Bay is basically the seasoning. I don't really know how to describe how it tastes, but it's put on seafood a lot. It's also put on f- potatoes and fries a lot. It's it's just delicious. I don't. I don't. I really don't know how to. I don't know what goes into it to be honest, off the top of my head. But it's it's absolutely delicious. But Old Bay fries are great. I also just like a plain curly fry. Those are those are good, but yeah, I, I just think they're more enjoyable than a than a regular straight French fry. Hmm. I'm wondering. Old Bay is probably like like salt and paprika, right? Salt, pepper, and paprika. Yeah, it's probably at least those things. Something else. If I had to go with one, I would probably pick a loaded baked potato. That was up there on my list as well. Yeah, I I don't eat baked potatoes super often, uh, but when I do. I think the loaded aspect is good. And just the more stuff, the better. When I was a kid, I remember my dad, he showed me his his very particular way of eating loaded baked potatoes where he would like eat out the whole contents. And then once he had just the skin left, he would go back, go get a bunch of cheese and bacon and like ranch. And oh, he wouldn't put the ranch on yet. Like cheese and bacon, toss it in the oven, let it come back out, put ranch on or sour cream or whatever 
Yeah, made potato skins. Yeah, and then boom, you got potato skins. So it's a, it's great as is, and then it has infinite versatility even when you're almost done with it. So absolutely, that represents who I am. Yeah, and also, I mean, it's something that is extremely adaptable to your 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 palate and your taste buds, right? You, a, baked, a loaded baked potato is whatever you want to make it. Oh I mean, yeah, there yeah. is kind of a right way to do it, but <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's avoid that one. <laughs> The Next Discord's question gonna be full got. of people asking us what the right way is. Oh, uh, you know the right way. The right way is your way. <laughs> there you go. Very diplomatic of you. Batwheels says, or asks rather, what is your favorite chain restaurant and why? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I don't know that I have any particular chain restaurants these days. Like that is a genuine chain that I'm just like, oh, I love going there. I don't really eat fast food. Um, though I say that and most of the time people laugh at me because I, I very much love five guys and it is very much fast food, but I don't in my yeah. head, in my heart of hearts, I don't consider it fast food for some reason. So that's your answer then five guys. So I guess it's five guys. My other answer would be literally any Chinese restaurant. I kind of feel like they're all close enough that <laughs> like, like the stereotypical Chinese restaurant that's like original dragon number one or, you know, that kind of place. Cause they're all basically the same restaurant. They mostly have similar menus. I'm thinking like a place with that nice, uh, like kind of angled down fading sign that's been there for like 50 years. Like that's that's a good quality Chinese restaurant. I would probably go as far as like just straight up chain. I'd probably go Taco Bell. I okay. think Taco Bell. First of all, it's not Mexican. No, I'm under I'm under no false pretenses that it is Mexican. But it, it kind of falls under the same paradigm as like Olive Garden or or like Red Lobster or these places. Olive Garden is not Italian. Red no. Lobster is not really genuine seafood. And Taco Bell is not genuine Mexican. But they all make pretty good food. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I love endless shrimp. I'm, I'm, I'm there for Red Lobster's endless shrimp. Dude, can't biscuits? keep me away. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, that's fair, though. Uh, Taco Bell. I actually, I read a, I read a um, study like, dec- like probably a decade ago that said Taco Bell is the healthiest american fast food chain mm. which is kind of surprising to me because yeah. i always thought it was gross as far as like what the food looks like and stuff it tastes great but yeah, yeah i suppose there's a lot of i mean beans and rice and lettuce and tomato it's i guess compared to what's in some of the other stuff it's just straight up made of better things also the naked chicken chalupa to swing away from the healthiness aspect for, for those that don't know i don't know if this is a regional thing or if even taco bell might not be in everyone's region they took the worst part of a taco the shell obviously and replaced it with, it's like, I don't know if it's fried, but it's breaded chicken. And you can get it spicy or normal. And it is technically a chalupa, so they're replacing not a full hard shell, but like a soft shell. And they replace it with this this chicken. I recommend you Google a picture if you're not familiar. It's fascinating. It's powerful. I get at least five every time they come back because <laughs> it is the best fast food out there. As a follow-up, Batwheels also asked, is Wawa really that great? I can't sleep on Wawa. Wawa is a... I want to say, like, it's pretty regional, I think. Oh, it's, it's extremely spread, regional. But it probably sounds absurd, a, a place called Wawa. But it is fantastic. Really, uh, any New Jersey Wawa is just going to be solid. It's a chain. It's a gas station. It, it's similar to Quick Check. For those that are more familiar, I think that's a slightly wider spread version. But Wawa is just higher quality food. Uh, they have good breakfast. They have good lunches. They even started doing good dinners now, too. And you can get any snack under the sun there. Plus, they have, you know, like some medicines and other things that you need there, too. Some some like housekeeping things. So it's just like you're all in one stop. I am never upset to go to Wawa for any meal of the day. Yeah, it's 
at its core, Wawa is a convenience store, but it's really a convenience store on steroids. They do, as Ben mentioned, they, they do gas at pretty much every location, and the quality of the food they put out is exceptional when it comes to convenience stores. Mm-hmm. Ben mentioned that it's regional. It's extremely regional. I believe, and any listeners in the New Jersey or tri-state area who know better than me, please correct me in the Discord, but I'm fairly positive Wawa originally started in like the eastern Pennsylvania region, moved to New Jersey, and then jumped down to Florida somehow, and is now slowly working its way up from Florida and down from Jersey to like meet along the East Coast. Mm, probably something like that, right? But yeah, it's it's like, and Wawa is like some uh, Native American word for goose. I don't know which language it's in, but it means goose. Hmm. And yeah, it's a convenience store on steroids. Most people in the area will refer to it. They're like, oh, it's just 7-Eleven. It's like everybody who hears that will freak out that it's it's not no, anything like 7-Eleven. Uh, but they, they make food to order in a lot of different scenarios. Like you can basically order whatever you want there. They do, as Ben said, breakfast, lunch, dinner. You can get snacks. You can get drinks. You can Their coffee is pretty good. All sorts of stuff. It's absolutely that great. And uh, I have had one bad experience with Wawa in all of my 24 years. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right. I went to Wawa and I ordered a uh, chicken salad sandwich and uh, you go up to like a touchscreen thing and you, you select all the things you want. And I ordered a chicken salad sandwich. I got like lettuce and spinach on it. I got uh, banana peppers, honey mustard and some other things. And I get the sandwich and it was like a foot long or whatever. I get the sandwich and I go home. I open the sandwich and everything's on the sandwich except the chicken salad. <laughs> and I was like, this is a joke, right? You, you, you put too many ingredients and they, they just... They couldn't fit it all. <laughs> I was like, this is this is a joke. It's a chicken salad sandwich. How'd you m- miss the chicken salad? That's pretty funny. Maybe they thought... The, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I can't justify this one. I, I just mean, ate it. I didn't even go back. I just ate it and I was like, whatever. But you know, I bet it was still pretty great. It was fine, yeah. <laughs> so even at its worst, Wawa is still pretty top tier. All right. So next up is a question from OD in the Discord. Recently, course sets have been focused on a specific planeswalker. Which planeswalker would you like to be the focus of the next core set? Each pick one. And what plane would you like the Phyrexians to invade next? Two questions Ooh. here from OD. So that first one, which planeswalker would you like to be the focus of the next core set? Hmm. This is a tough one. I, I kind of want to, I guess only picking one makes this tough, man. Because there's some of the older planeswalkers that i like to see developed a little bit more. Like we don't know what Garrick is up to now. Man, they do Garrick dirty. They do Garrick so dirty. He, like, mm-hmm. disappeared for years, like, literal years in real real world time. They just didn't mention him at all. Yeah. And then he showed up for one set, and then he disappeared again, and we don't know what's going on with him? Or is he still yeah. protecting? I don't know. It's just, like, really? I think it maybe it was mentioned in some of the Eldraine lore what happened with him, but I wasn't really super following with the Eldraine lore. I heard it wasn't great. But, anywho, I think if I had to pick one, it would be Renin Six. Ooh. Yeah, Renin Six. What I know of Renin Six's backstory is really interesting. Yeah, I, there's very little out there. You can Google it and read it in like under two minutes because they were only printed in one set. So, so what Renin Six is? There, it's two entities. One is a dryad. That's Ren, and Six is their vessel, and it's like a tree folk esque vessel that they're fused to. And apparently, it's their sixth one. I think something like that. So they are able to planeswalk, and I think it's. Is the deal with like when they planeswalk, they have to like graft a new tree folk vessel to themselves when they get to the new plane, or can they take the tree folk with them? I don't know. It's it's cool. It's really cool. This notion of like 
a planeswalking dryad, and I love to know more about it, but I think they're literally only featured on like two or three cards from MH1. Yeah, yeah, even like flavor wise and such. Yeah. Um yeah, Renin Six is a great, great pick here. I, I didn't didn't quite go that deep, but that is a great pick. I would love to know more about them. And I don't do we even know what plane Ren is from originally? <laughs> Who knows? They don't really wow. look like any dryads that we're used to, I suppose. Yeah, no, that that's interesting. I really do hope we get more on them because that that would be really cool. My first thought with this was was a Johnny. A Johnny oh, was like yeah. the first planeswalker I ever opened, like the original Johnny mm. Goldmane from like M10. Mm. Yeah, so a Johnny has a special place in my heart, and I'd like to see more more on him. I wouldn't mind seeing more on like Koth or something like that. Mm. Uh, I don't even remember if Koth is still alive, but <laughs> there was the War of the Spark. Some yeah. Random planeswalkers like didn't didn't Dak Faden get like incidentally killed in the trailer <laughs> by yeah, some yeah. random eternal and <laughs> people were yeah. mad about that I think yeah I knows? mean he's there's, the greatest thief in the multiverse you can't just kill him off <laughs> greatest thief uh, I guess not the best defensive <laughs> planeswalker some of the, the the fun uncommon ones would be nice the, the uh, I guess when I say uncommon the ones that we saw as uncommons and more the spark. Uh, Davriel, the the Shadow Mage, right? Oh, the Wanderer, for sure, the Wanderer. Oh, the Wanderer, absolutely. Yeah, who, what is, some people thought the Wanderer was Emrakul. And honestly, I saw some halfway convincing arguments that it could be. But the fact that it was a white card, I guess, kind of nixed that. Hot nicks. Um, uh. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Uh, that's kind of the, the draw of the Wanderer. I don't even think I necessarily want to know their backstory. I mean, I do. But I wouldn't be upset if they didn't give it to us because it's like part of their whole shtick. But yeah. just to see them do more stuff because <laughs> they were really <laughs> yeah. awesome in in, like, in War of the Spark. All we saw, what, Blade Banish, I think? This like yeah. rogue samurai-esque person comes in, slices up a bunch of Eternals. And then they, I think they show up briefly on Ikoria, but I don't think they were mentioned in the lore like novel or, or any of that stuff at all. But I think, again, they're, they're featured there just like, slicing up some giant monsters they're just traveling around like a like random interdimensional samurai awesome i'm in for it yeah well they have like a weird situation where they they like can't keep themselves tethered to the plane they're on for very long that's right it's yeah, like yeah. it's extremely like an unstable spark yeah 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 yeah. it's it's extremely difficult to keep them tethered to the plane that they're on so they just randomly planes walk away a lot of the time oh my god that sucks what's like the worst thing you could be doing and then planes walk away in the middle of it. Using the bathroom, probably. <laughs> anyway, what uh, what plane should the Phyrexians hit up next? Oh, man. It's, it's coming, right? It is. It's definitely coming. It is. I kind of want to say Innistrad. Ooh, hasn't Innistrad been through enough recently? That's why I want it to be Innistrad. Could you imagine <laughs> the Phyrexian Praetors and Emrakul duking it out? Oh, my God. That would be kind of cool. And, like, one of them gets warped uh, in, in the same Who way knows? that, like, the angels did. That'd be sick. Because like Emrakul still, do it. I don't know, but Emrakul's still trapped in that moon, man. She she's still doing her thing. She she put herself there. Yeah, that was concerning. I, I don't know. What if the Phyrexians witness Emrakul's ability to like distort living matter, and they're like, oh, like this is more complete than we thought we already were. This is good. Or do you think they take offense to it? Like, oh no, they're it's corrupting our completion. I could see a genuine. In fact, now that I say it out loud, I think there'd probably be. They'd be pissed. But a bit of a disagreement there. The Phyrexians, they work pretty hard to get themselves all metallic and whatnot. <laughs> they probably don't want people on doing that, right? 
yeah, I mean, Emrakul literally just corrupts things. So I don't know. That would be pretty interesting. I agree, though. Innistrad has been through quite a bit. And by that same token, probably not Zendikar. I'd probably say keep the Phyrexians away from Zendikar. I think they've been through enough as well. Yeah, I have a theory. Go for it. And it's it's one based on reality because of the, I think it was the El- I-Core Wellspring. Yeah. I think they're coming for Ixalan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that's that is my top vote on where we'll see them next. Or at the very least, we need an explanation as to how they got there or why we saw that card. Because uh, if it's mm. not, if that wasn't intended to be a chronological plant and say like, oh, they're gonna show up here next, because technically that was also already incorrect because we got Vorin Clex on Kaldheim. But like, yeah. maybe yeah. they're setting up shop like Ixalan's their new homeworld while they're mm. they're planning their next, you know bout of of war across the multiverse for completion who knows maybe they had something to do with uh with azor and and the uh i can't remember the name oh, of the, the object but the, the sun thing the immortal sun yeah yeah mm. uh <laughs> i mean all, all that stuff's great but i think the bottom line robot dinosaurs yeah <laughs> yeah. uh the next question they should <laughs> like have, they should have saved the mecha godzilla skin for robot dinosaurs but yeah, they, they went for that one a little too early. I don't know. I think it could happen. Maybe we'll just get more Godzilla stuff. So next up is a question from Hululu here. Asks, what are the biggest magic level ups, limited or constructed, that you've had over the years? Hmm. Good question. I think the first initial thought is all the things that we mentioned earlier, the things that we would tell the hackers, uh, mm. not that. Yeah, the exact opposite of those things. Yeah, all those things definitely count. Hmm. As far as gameplay... I wouldn't say that I've stagnated very much recently. I think my drafting has leveled up a little bit. Sometimes I still find myself falling into old traps where I'm like, oh, I got to take the rare. Like that looks like a fun rare. I think one of my biggest level ups honestly is taking the cards that make the most impact rather than the cards that seem the flashiest. And this isn't like a, a huge, I don't know, step to climb. I think it was just more of a gradual process. But... It personally felt like a pretty big level up, even in this set, when I started taking combat professors over whatever nonsense rare was in the set. So I think I would call that a pretty good level up on my part. And it's a tough one, because half of the reason that Limited is fun is because you get to play with these rare cards, and playing with rares and mythics and flashy things that you open is fun. It's fun to be able to say, look, I got lucky, and now I got to do something cool with it. And this won't happen to me all the time, but it happened this time, and it was a fun experience. Sometimes, though, that's not the right thing to do. And that was hard for me to realize. This is, I think, helped me get more consistent drafts. And I think it's kind of made a less visible impact on like my overall win rate and my overall enjoyment now that I've started kind of taking this to heart. Because, you know, you'll lose a bunch of games after you kind of train wreck the draft and just said, oh, my deck wasn't very good. But then it's hard to go back and interrogate why. I think especially now with 17 lands data, it's pretty easy to go back and interrogate why. And I think the more we dig into this data and just see what we can really do with it, uh, I think we're all going to start leveling up in ways that we didn't really anticipate. How about you? Yeah, I would have to agree. I think uh, my first, like the the go-to answer to this question for me is spend all your mana efficiently. Uh, that was the biggest level up I had when I first started listening to limited resources back in like high school. And it was like, I don't know why, but it was very eye opening to me to to be like, oh, yeah, I should be spending all my resources that are available. And yeah. that, I mean, that kind of trans translates a little bit to, to, you know, utilizing life points 
in the best way you can, which goes back to what we were talking about earlier with chump blocking and things. Um, that's also a resource you can leverage to, to get ahead. Um, you know, as long as your life total is not at zero, you're still in the game. So, and you can actually see that I posted a, a game in the discord a couple days ago where I was playing Theros Beyond Death and I got down to one life against the red white deck and managed to win the game. So, you know, it, it can happen. So that's my biggest level up. Mana efficiency is my biggest level up as far as actual gameplay goes. But yeah, drafting a signal reading, I think, has been my biggest level up. Like actually learning to recognize which cards are worth taking early so you notice when they're in the pack still, when they get past you, has been big. Because I think I think for a while my drafting has been a lot worse than my gameplay. And I think that's still the case. Maybe not a lot worse now. I think they're starting to come close to each other. But in recent months, I would like to say that my drafting has leveled up faster than my gameplay has. Um, so there are a lot of different lessons, I think, to be learned in the actual draft portion. Uh, but that's one of them. And then that's also kind of why I wanted to start a series on the YouTube channel with going back over my drafts and what, like going through the 17 lands data and just saying like, hey, I don't know why I made that pick. I probably should have picked this card and you know talk about my decisions during the draft because... Uh, that's a great way to actually like find your own inconsistencies, find the ways that you maybe miss the beat while you were drafting and kind of keep those things in mind for when you actually get into your next draft. Mm. I want to mention one other small one that I've had more recently. Uh, this is more of a, I guess, like a step level up than a, than a gradual one, like kind of like we mentioned, but casting spells, casting instant speed spells on your turn when appropriate. I I think if you, it, it's kind of like a, a step series, right? Step level one is cast everything on your turn tap out past the turn step two is oh you can leave up instant speed stuff like removal spells and creatures with flash until your opponent's turn and then the third level above that is okay it's not always best to leave up spells like this because uh in limited they've been printing a lot of good answers um sometimes counter spells are played in the format not so much this format um, although there are some negate effects that see play there's a lot of things give hexproof or little temporary buffs or indestructible or things like that. Combat tricks that can be left up super easily, and you just get so punished if it happens uh, on your opponent's turn mid-combat, right? So if you've got that kill spell and your opponent is tapped out, even if it's an instant, yeah, sure, maybe they'll try to pump it mid-combat. But are you willing to risk the fact that they might have, I don't know, an indestructible spell in their hand or a hexproof spell in their hand? Sometimes it's just best to take the clean one for one and uh, not get too fancy, especially if you're behind. So that was a personal level up that I had probably within the last year or two uh, that probably within the last year, I'd say even that I found his is uh, kind of got me to that next level. Here is a fun question from Batwheels. You're on a deserted island, but you have access to one magic spell based on a magic card. What is it? So the whole idea of you as a magic player, you're like a planeswalker, quote unquote, right? And you're summoning spells from all over the place. So I'm, I'm going to interpret this as you get to cast one magic card and it happens in real life, right? Yeah, so my you know my pedantic mind always goes to wait. What are my assumptions here? Because <laughs> a, if you're a planeswalker, you're just planeswalking away from the island. Doesn't matter what what spell you're casting. So can't exactly be a planeswalker. You got to be trapped there in some capacity. But there are characters in Magic that are not planeswalkers that use magic spells and such. So that's okay. Mm -hmm. My next my next question is: When we cast the spell, are we getting an effect that is? the best translated effect from the, the card itself into real life in whatever way that works? Or are we just taking the name of the card and using that as something that, you know, whatever we can imagine that spell would do? Uh, let's say either. I mean, or like dealer's choice. We can, we can pick. Sure. So for me, if I'm just like 
oh, that spell sounds like it would help me out a lot in this situation, I would just take teleport because that's a spell yeah, okay. from uh, from Legacies, I think. And uh, that would do it. Like, it would just get you off the island. Uh, I think you're thinking a little too small here. I'm going to go Omniscience. Uh, and then, <laughs> and then I can, I assume I can just like kind of levitate up, up into the air. Now, it, well, omniscience know, is think, just that you know everything. It doesn't give you random magical yeah. powers. <laughs> but what if it gives you? That's true. It doesn't. It doesn't draw cards. Omniscience and zero cards in hand is not a good combination. Uh oh. Maybe I, I, I should have thought a little more about this one then. I, I figured omniscience would just get you the get you everything you need, right? If anything, I would probably want. If not a card that granted me some sort of like stupendously awesome powers, what's the one? Uh, is it Transcendent Avatar? Or yeah, trans- I mean that uh, is this a card. Is what I'm thinking of the level up white yes. mythic from old Zendikar. Yes, that I think it starts off as like a little creature and then it levels up into this like flying lifelink, indestructible like super cool beater. If I could be a magic card, I'd probably do that because it'd be pretty neat to say meditate on an island for. Uh, a few days and then just kind of start hovering up into the air and then I could just fly back to shore like glowing eyes and stuff. Uh, if I needed, I don't know, isn't there a ghost ship too? Isn't that an old card? There like is. Blue, blue, blue there are a lot flying. of ways to get off an island with magic cards. You could be, if you could be a magic card, you could just pick literally any card that has flying. You'd be fine. <laughs> yeah. There are plenty of enchantments that give flying. So you could I just assume, take one of those. <laughs> Uh, any card with island walk would probably let you walk on water, I guess, but at least be really good at swimming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I might go, personally, I think it'd be really cool. I think it'd be a cool superpower to be able to surf anywhere. That's me coming from my surfer's background. Uh, it's kind of like longboarding anywhere, except you could just go over stuff that you couldn't go over on a longboard. So I would probably want to take an elemental of some kind. Maybe like a shore crasher elemental or brine elemental or, or one of those. It'd be pretty cool to have an elemental wave that you could summon. Also, I don't know for those that have seen uh, Ponyo, the, the 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 father from Ponyo. It's a great Ghibli movie. He's able to kind of grab a handful of water and turn it into a bunch of little elementals that turn into waves. That'd be a pretty cool thing to do. So I, I might go with a water elemental if I'm blocked from omnisciencing or turning into a flying transcendent <laughs> master of space and time or whatever. Well, I wasn't trying to shut down omniscience. Like, you could totally get that. It would probably tell... like. If you had omniscience, I'm sure you could figure out a way off the island. It just wouldn't let you levitate. Like you wouldn't just immediately get the ability to fly away with with omniscience. Oh, here's an idea: uh, star of extinction, and that way you just blow up everything around you, and then everything becomes like land. You know? Oh, you're right. I'll just take all his dust, and we can just be done. Oh, or boil destroys all <laughs> islands, which I assume would just boil off the ocean. You can just walk back to shore. Yeah, that's fair. That's kind of a flavor fail, you know. Like, Boyle destroys islands, but the islands themselves aren't the water. Oh, uh-oh. Islands are land masses. All right. Call up Richard. We, we have some <laughs> words for him. All right. With that, we're going to go on to our first and only audio question. Thanks, Wolverine, for submitting an audio question. Really excited to to try this out on the show. Maybe we can do more of this for, like, our general listener question of the week or something. But, uh... Yeah, here you go. This is Wolverine, and uh, we'll be back afterwards to answer the question. Hey, fellas. Wolverine here, listening from Colorado. Uh, I have a question about mental magic. Now, I was an athlete before I started playing magic, and conventional wisdom in sports is when you're in a slump is to just keep going, you know, keep swinging, keep shooting, you know, those sorts of things. Well, I feel like the conventional wisdom in magic is when you're in a slump is to take a break, you know, step away from the game for a little bit. 
Well, I have a hard time doing that. So if I fired off three or four drafts in a row that have gone poorly, my inclination is to just go ahead and fire up another one that I'll get out of this slump eventually. Uh, how do you guys balance taking a break from the game or firing up another one to, uh, you know, to try to overcome a slump or, uh, you know, a bad time that you might be having? So uh, you guys are doing a great job. Keep up the good work and looking forward to the next uh, year and many years to come. Thanks. All right. So what are your thoughts? That's a great question, by the way. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Thanks for that. And this is a tough one. Uh, as someone else who has a bit of sports background, I know what you're talking about. That drive to succeed, that kind of push from whatever external figures are honestly even internal. I think it might hinge on the fact that one is a physical activity and the other is more a mental activity. And that's not a strict border. For example, if you like are playing Magic the Gathering for seven hours and forget to eat, you're going to feel pretty physically bad, right? So... I think it, the bulk of the effort, though, is mental burnout that, that tends to affect Magic players more. Let's focus on that aspect, at least. And then the physical burnout that tends to affect sports players more. And whereas sports muscles can actually be trained by, you know, I guess what, what they say, you, you build muscle by, like, creating slight tears in your muscle, and then those rebuild even stronger, right? I don't know if the brain works in quite the same way. I think brains can be pushed a little too much and they can uh, kind of get worn down. And I think they need more time to recover than, say, muscles. I don't know. I, I honestly think there's some unhealthy culture in, in the sports sector here, too, to, to deal with. But look, I, I'll save that for a different podcast, people that are more informed about it. What do you think? Yeah, so I also have a bit of a sports background. I played hockey for 11 years, and I tend to agree. I think it's a lot easier in you know, physical sports to just keep at it and keep at it and keep at it. And sometimes it's because it's a technique you're trying to develop that you can't quite get. Like in mm -hmm. hockey, it might be that your slap shots just not getting there. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't quite make goals with it. So you have to work on your timing or your power or your aim or something like that. And that takes repetition. It takes doing it over and over and over again to get down to the bottom of, you can't really think your way through that. I don't agree that there isn't a mental aspect to, and you didn't make this claim, but there's definitely a mental aspect of physical sports as well. Yeah. That, yeah. that involves, that, that gets involved with the performance in, in physical sports. But I, I think, I think it's a lot harder to tell yourself in the moment when you're at the table playing magic or you're on your computer playing magic or your phone or whatever it is. It's a lot harder in the moment when you, you're on a losing streak to tell yourself, it's just like a phase or maybe I made some mistakes that I can adapt to. And I think part of the sports side of things is you, you have a coach telling you little tweaks here and there. You have somebody who's like, hey, you know, if you release that shot half a second earlier, you're probably going to be on target. So work on, mm -hmm. you know, releasing a little bit earlier. Things like that. You get tips from somebody. It's like a an actor getting, getting input from a director, right? Like you have yeah. somebody who's helping you on a regular basis. Typically especially through the pandemic and things like that. When you're playing magic, you're by yourself and it's mm -hmm. much easier to tell yourself lies or even false, like lies and like, that's true. Yeah. Even, even you can trick yourself. You can trick yourself very easily. And I think it, that that's probably the biggest problem with that. It's that's, that's kind of why tilt is a thing. Like it's very easy to just get super frustrated because the feedback loop, it's a feedback loop. Yeah. You don't, you don't really see the mistakes you're making most of the time you only see your end result and and most people who are finding themselves in a situation where they're tilting like that aren't taking the time to to go back and be their own coach and look at the data on 17 lands and say oh i really shouldn't have made this pick in this draft or wow that mm -hmm. turn was a pivotal point and i made the wrong decision 
because those are the things that help you get better. And if you're not taking that time, which is still taking time off, you aren't going to see that. And we, unless you have a coach watching you play every game. Uh, but that's mm. that's kind of why we started this podcast as well, because Ben and I constantly send stuff to each other like, hey, look at this draft or check out this game or, you know, whatever. And and figured we could get more input from other people and give other people more input as well. So next up, we've got a question from Andy who asks, where's somewhere in the world you'd like to visit the most? This is a tough question for me because my I have a and my wife and I both really like to travel. So we both have a bit of a bucket list for locations we'd like to go to. But my bucket list is very amorphous. It, it There are a bunch of items on it, but I have no idea what the order is. New Zealand is definitely up there. It's one of my one of my top tier picks for a place that I'd like to visit. You just get so much beautiful landscape, great towns and vistas and things like that. And uh, so that's up there. I'd like to get, go to the UK and Ireland at some point, And I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, Iceland, the black sand beaches on Iceland are phenomenal. I'd really love to go there. And I do a lot of amateur photography. So, you know, a lot of these decisions are are motivated by um photography i'd also really love to to go to spain actually my wife and i were just talking about entertaining the idea of spending like six months in in spain or something just like move there briefly that'd be sick uh and i work remotely so it'd be very easy for me yeah to do that i shouldn't say very easy i I do have time (laughs) the time zones to deal with but spain's up there brazil's up there kind of because i have a lot of family in brazil but it's also a very dangerous place to be right now. And mm, right. the government's not super stable, so it's not that high on my list at the moment. Yeah. There are also a lot of places in, in the continental U.S. and even non-continental U.S. I'd really love to go to Hawaii. I'd love to see the Grand Canyon. Basically, the entire national park system I'd love to see. Yeah, there are a lot of places. Uh, South Germany. I've been to North Germany, and I'm going there in about a month as well. But I've never been to South Germany. Really like to see that. Austria is supposed to be beautiful. Prague's supposed to be beautiful. There are a lot of places I want to go to. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you just fired off the list. I was struggling to think of like one one or two places, but uh, <laughs> I kind of have, I've seen a good chunk of the U.S. My family likes going on, I guess I call them nature trips. So I have seen a good chunk of the U.S. Uh, park system, although there's a few that I'm missing, a few of the ones that are out west and towards the south. But uh, I think, you know what, I'm going to cop out. I want to go where the listeners are. I'd like to meet some of these people, you know. Uh, it'd be cool to, to show up in a town and be like, hey, Let's go get dinner, you know, some some people that we know from Discord or things like that. So if you if you got a cool town, let us know. Maybe Zach and I can fly out. I mean, I'm, I'm free over the summer. Uh, I'll do some stuff. But I think other places, uh, I've always wanted to see Tibet. I think it would be a pretty cool place. It's always seemed interesting. I also would want to go when it's cold because I love the cold. And I think that'd be kind of cool. Some other general places, I would say this feels a, a little uh, a little cop-outy, but Vegas specifically GP Vegas. I think that is a destination that I would love to see because I can only imagine what kind of atmosphere it is when a bunch of Magic the Gathering players go from playing Magic the Gathering all day to just partying. I want to be there. I want to like do shots with some of the greats. I'm in for that. <laughs> That's awesome. Hopefully we'll get another GP Vegas. I mean, the GP scene is like very up in question marks right now, especially with the state of like pro play and everything. So hopefully GPs come back and we get to see that. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Our next question here comes from Gus WF. Favorite MTG ship pair? Ooh, there, this is tough. This is tough. Now, Zach and I have kept up on lore. Honestly, there's not too many prominent couples currently in, in the lore. It's probably Sky Sovereign and Smuggler's Copter as my, my favorite <laughs> ship pair. Oh, my God. 
Uh, uh, no, we regret to inform you that after a year, the podcast has come to an end. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail, derail you, but I had to get that <laughs> joke in before you started giving serious answers. It was worth it. Uh, I think Kinos and Tiro of Melodus, that's a classic one, uh, because we saw them first on, what was it, like Guardians of Melodus, I think, which was just some trashy common from like a core set or Magic Origins or something like that. And then... We later found out uh, that they're actually two cool dudes on on uh, their own card. It's it's some group hugs card, I think. So that's mm-hmm. a fun one. I also want to shout out Regna the Redeemer and Krav the Unredeemed from was it Battle Bond? I yes. think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Who? Th- I, they're another kind of set of figures that I'd love to get more lore on someday. I guess they're kind of stuck on what is it? what's that plan called? Kyla? Not is it Kyla? Yeah, Kylum. That's the one where uh, Will and Rowan are from. Or not from, but at. They they hung out there, yeah. So Regna and Krav, Regna being an angel, Krav being a demon. Very curious to figure out how that happened. That's awesome. Lord. Uh, for those that don't know the cards, they have partner, so which is kind of like a, a cool legendary mechanic. You can do stuff with it in Commander. I'd love to know what happened there. They're only mentioned on a, a handful of cards, but they seem like cool characters. And I suppose, finally... Honestly, from the most recent lore type ones, gotta go Jason Vraska. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good one. Especially given their like background and everything, and like they literally needed their minds to get wiped for that to ever happen. So, <laughs> yeah, that that was pretty cool. I I had Jace and Lily in the back of my head because they had like a weird relationship where she kind of just took a lot of advantage of him until he was like, wait, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> And then he had his mind wiped and he ended up with Vraska for a little bit and, you know, that whole thing. But that was not a healthy relationship, but I thought it was a funny one from a lore perspective. It is pretty funny. The way that all all worked out. I'm going to pour one out for Chandra and Nyssa, though. Like, Uh, you know, classic Watsy doing the Watsy thing. But, I mean, that was kind of cool. I did. I actually liked the tension they brought into the story with pseudo exploring that relationship before they just retconned the whole thing. Destroyed everything. That was that was pretty cool, and you could like see little bits of it every now and then. So I I liked the way that that was kind of worked through. I feel like they don't actually spend much, if any, time on intercharacter relationships, though. Like in a romantic sense, there's very yeah, little it, of that actually it, spoken about in the lore. Sometimes it's it's illustrated through cards, effectively, which I think is cool. Right. I'd like to see more of that. I think it's um Halana and Elena, the the trappers. I was from about Innistrad. to mention them because I was surprised you didn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, they are mentioned all throughout, I want to say the old Innistrad and then the new Innistrad, and then in Commander Legends we finally got printed versions of them. I'm sad they kind of suck, but <laughs> because otherwise, I'd have loved, I love Innistrad and the red-green, which I, I, I don't have a straight-up red-green Commander deck. I'd love to have made them, but the cards just aren't that good, so <laughs> maybe we'll get a Legend when we go back to, to Innistrad uh, in the fall. Maybe we'll get something cool with both of them. Yeah, my official answer to this question, by the way, is Ocount and Zinder split. I don't, I don't know if they're, like, an actual, like, couple as far as a romantic sense is concerned or if they're just friends or what, but I love their relationship, so. It's a shit pair. We'll call it yeah. that. Next up, question from Andy. What's your opinion on the ever-controversial secret layer? Any thoughts on one you'd like to see slash suggest? Oh, man. Time to un, uh, unscrew this this disgusting can of worms. I don't, I don't know where to begin. Well, I guess we know your opinions on secret layers already, given your preface there. But well, it, it's it's rough. It's t- it's weird. You start. I need to think. Yeah, I, I guess the blanket answer is I don't like them. 
don't mm-hmm. think that's a fair answer because there's a lot of nuance that goes into that, the actual reasoning for that. I don't particularly like the way they handled some of the original ones with like, you know, bringing in the Walking Dead characters as actual cards that aren't just skins. I like the way they handled Godzilla as like yeah. a skin on top of a card that it's not like they were introducing Godzilla into the actual multiverse and mm-hmm. they kind of did that with the walking dead and it just feels wrong i'm kind of surprised they did well it's probably a licensing issue but I'm, i was kind of surprised they didn't do that with strixhaven with like harry potter characters and stuff as like a skin mm-hmm. on top but i also my honestly my biggest complaint with the secret layers is twofold it's that a they're taking some business away from lgs's i think they should give secret layers to lgs's to sell not sell them themselves and I, I don't really like giving Watsy money right now. Like it, it it's actually yeah. sad because it, it keeps me from drafting a lot of the times. I don't want to put money on Arena because I'm not happy with the way they've handled the, the platform. And given that they're mm. making extremely record breaking profit levels, and then they're pulling stunts like not really developing the client at all. They're pulling money away from the pro circuit. It's like they're just nuts. backing out yeah. on pro- on promises they make. It, there's I have no confidence in the company. I love the game, but I have no confidence in the company running the game, and I don't really want to give them more money. So the fact that it's a primary market that that it's like I'm just buying something directly from Wizards. Now I do occasionally buy cards. Ben has mentioned a couple times that we bought a box, like we split a box to of, of Modern Horizons two, but most of the time I buy singles from LGSs and stuff. Mm-hmm. But again, and it's keeping it keeps me from drafting. When I run out of stuff on 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 Arena, I grab an old standard deck that I probably don't have the wild cards to update and. I jam that until I have the gold to run another draft. I'm, I just don't want to put money into the platform. So that's my biggest problem with them. Mm-hmm. I think there's some upsides and some downsides to Secret Layer. I'll start with the upsides. Some of the art is fantastic. Giving artist series, these, these spotlights, awesome. Love it. I wish there was a better way to do it. This is what we've got. It's really cool that they get to print these different versions of things and honestly have some pretty creative approaches some of the newer ones uh have been hits or misses but some of these are genuinely really cool i guess another upside is that sometimes they are able to print expensive cards at what at, at, to, to bring the price down right we saw some cases of this some cases i guess this this bullet point kind of falls in the middle right some cases where the cards were not worth the price of the secret letter bundle. However, there are some where the cards are with the price of the secret letter bundle. So this can go either way. If you need the cards and are going to play them, sure, get them. But what I don't like about that is that maybe there's only one or two in the pack, in the, like the, the drop, so to speak, that you want. You, you just want to wait and buy those as, as singles. I would much rather they they give you the, like, here's the secret layer drop. It's these five cards. But when you order mm-hmm. it, you can say, I only want four of this card none of the others or I like make maybe yeah. every drop is four cards and you can pick some combination of four to get. Um, and maybe that affects the price of the drop, but at least you get the cards you actually want. Cause like we were talking about them recently with the big super drop they did for the summer. And one of them has spell queller in it and I run spirits in modern and I would love to get that, that version of spell queller. It's a beautiful card, yeah. but I am probably just going to wait until I can buy them as singles because I don't want to buy four copies of the secret lair. Yeah, it's it's just it's it's a confused product. Sometimes I'm not entirely sure if they're trying to like who are they selling this to? Who is buying the bulk of these? Uh, I have purchased one secret layer. I bought secret layer Thalia because I saw this as a really kind of fun and simple way to get four Thalias for when I you know eventually play them in modern, and it was worth the price. 
The arts were great. The foiling was okay. I don't actually think they're bent that much, but I have had them pretty well stored since. And it was worth it for that, that moment. The things that they've printed since then, there have been some secret layers that have just been so forgettable. And I like these alternate printings, these alternate arts, these foiling things, these whatevers, when they're available. And I think now starting to move into the, the negative notes, I don't like the culture of this method of selling. It's almost this FOMO, the whole like, get it now before it's gone. It's almost a predatory business practice where it's pressuring people like, if you don't buy this now, God knows what the prices of this card is going to be in 30 years. So if you like it, you better give it, you know, you better pay now. And that's, it just feels kind of gross. You know, it's not something I want to partake in. And that's another reason why the Walking Dead ones felt so bad, because those were brand new cards that you could only get through yeah. the Secret Lair. At least the other ones are reprints of cards, so if you miss out, maybe you missed out on the art, but like it's not like you can't get that card through other means. Mm -hmm. But the, the Walking yeah. Dead ones were genuinely brand new cards that were legal in actual formats, and you could only get them through Secret Lair Drop. Right, so I've made, I guess, these three-ish bullet points. And on a relative scale, I would put the positive at a one, the medium at a zero, the negative at a negative one. And now to go down to like minus 20 on the relative scale, this, the Walking Dead ones. I absolutely cannot stand that. Disgusting, I hate it. There are canon people in the magic universe now whose names are like Phil or what, what, what's the, what are their names? Like Rick. Rick. Like, no, if you're listening, your name's Rick. It's a great name. Uh, no offense. But, like, this guy. Th this guy from the TV show, Rick. I, I, or, like, I don't know, Pithing Needle. I name Rick. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's, what's going on here? I am all for these kind of alternate, I guess, alternate universe tie-in cards. I think the way they did Godzilla was perfect. And honestly, if they want to make this type of thing for people, there is an audience for it. And it can be cool. I think they're doing... What is it? Stranger Things next? Yep. There might be some cool stuff in there. However, when they make those mechanically unique, they're starting to touch on some flavor that I don't like. They're starting to touch on some business practices that I, again, don't like. Because what happens when one of these cards becomes a legacy staple? And then everybody needs 15 copies of Glenn for their... Well, I mean, that's kind of what happened. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't think any of them see too much play anymore. But I don't know, just sitting down at a commander game, just like casually, and you got like, oh, you got an Atomar. Oh, you've got like a fella. And then, oh, you got a, oh, what's that? Like a gun toting zombie killer? I don't know. If you're into it, it's cool. I'm not the biggest Walking Dead fan in the world, but I don't know. There's got to be some kind of IP integrity, right? Yeah, that's the problem for me, too. It's just. You know, you hear the and I I I've played D and D for quite a while, and I DM and stuff. So you hear a lot as a joke in the DM D and D community, like you're breaking my immersion, or even in yeah. in like video games or movies or something. That's a that's a real thing that people are concerned about is breaking the audience's immersion. You want to make them feel like they belong to the world that you're building, make them feel like they have some sort of stakes in it, that mm -hmm. they belong there. And we've all for decades felt that about magic. And then suddenly yeah. they're just like, hey, Walking Dead is now part of magic. And you're like, whoa, yeah. whoa, hold up. Like, you just you just completely broke my immersion. And especially from an inter-game perspective, if, like you said, I'm playing, like, Zedru and I'm like, yeah, Piffing Needle or, you know, Scalding Tarn, and then they're just like, uh, Glenn, Rick, here are these, like, <laughs> zombie killers. It's like, okay, really? Am I even playing magic anymore? Yeah, like, for, for the record, I think it's totally fine if these are not mechanically unique. 
if they yeah. printed right now, if they just released, what was it, like five cards, five cards that were mechanically identical to the ones that they printed in the secret layer of Walking Dead, I would find that as a good course of action. I think that's pretty fine. And it sounds like in the future they're going to do the same thing and then a little while later print the magic versions of the cards that they yeah, print. except not for the Walking Dead ones. Yeah, except not for those, which I just, I don't get. Maybe they'll do it someday. Who knows? But I think there is a way to do this better. And they're not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to claim that I know what it is. I don't know exactly how to do it or how to get there. But what they're doing right now is making people kind of unhappy. And that's, you know, probably something you want to avoid in your game that's, you know, supposed to make people happy overall. All right. Our next question here is actually for Ben more than myself, but I'll answer it as well. Now that you brought us Smash Bros. And if you didn't listen to last week's episode, we talked a little bit about about Smash Bros. and the sign off. Who is your main Oh boy. Okay. So first of all, I should preface this by saying I'm not like an OG melee player or anything. I am not. I, I miss text. If you know, like I'm, I, I, I do have fun playing it though. And I would consider myself fairly decent. I put myself at like a six, maybe on a good day, a seven, but I main Robin in smash four and smash ultimate. I love Robin. I'm a dirty fire emblem player. Get it all out in the discord. Rip me a new one. I don't care. In, Previous Smash, I had mained Link, uh, and although he got a bit of a nerf in, in Smash Ultimate, I don't know, his the new bombs, I'm just not really digging. But if I want to genuinely win a game, I'll, I'll pick up Robin. I love the Magic Boys, uh, Ness and Lucas. I am a fan of some of the dorkier, dirtily characters. I'm just playing for fun with friends. Uh, I'll pick up Ganon or DDD or something of that you know genre. But honestly, a lot of the friends that I play Smash with we know each other's mains so well. And we've kind of gotten so used to each other that one, after we've kind of you know caught up and we've played our mains a little bit, we'll just main random and just have a good time seeing what we get and uh, kind of messing around. Yeah, that's fair. I don't have a very long relationship with Smash. I played Melee like a little bit when I was a kid. And then I think Brawl was like the only one that I've actually put any hours into. So, Or was Brawl the one that also was available for the 3DS? Oh, 3DS was Smash 4, I think. Okay, so I played a little bit of that one too, but uh, I think I mained... I actually was a fan of Robin as well. I liked Robin a lot. As I didn't know anything about the character because I've never played Fire Emblem, but just the playstyle I liked. I was also a big Sonic fan in, in Smash specifically. Like I played, I played mm. Sonic a lot as well, and then uh, I think in Brawl I mained Toon Link. Mm. Yeah, I, I tend to, to stick with Sword Fighters. I, something about them just appealing the brawlers and other stuff actually that reminds me uh me, me gunner I, I really just like me gunner with some very specific combinations I had to toss that one in there and anyway hulu has a follow-up question what are our favorite games outside of magic what games yeah i don't think we've actually <laughs> talked about this too much on the show besides yahtzee I don't well obviously that's the only game that actually exists outside <laughs> of magic but um so I have, and actually Ben can can kind of, to a somewhat lesser extent, relate to this. I've always been a very big fan of MMOs. Grew up playing mm. World of Warcraft. Was always a big fan of that. I played RuneScape before that. Always been a big fan of MMOs. Always been a big fan of strategy games. My very, very first video game I ever played was StarCraft, like the original StarCraft. And I played that f- forever. Like, it was one of my favorite games for a very long time. So I like, I like a lot of strategy games. RTSs. Civ is great. I'm a big fan of any other kinds of card games. I played Hearthstone for a little while. I played Runeterra, like I mentioned. I've been kind of trying to get into the 
like PVE style card games like Slay the Spire and and mm. Rogue Book and things like that. I haven't actually played any of them yet, but played Runeterra's PVE mode, which is also fantastic. Uh, so I, I want to get into more of those. I'm a big fan of RPGs, The Witcher, Borderlands, things like that. Yeah, I think that I think that pretty much covers it. Mm. As for me, I do play not Yahtzee, but I do play some. I guess I'd call them like interpersonal party esque games. If we're talking non-video games, that is. Uh, Secret Hitler is a fantastic one. Exploding Kittens. Those are two of my go-tos with with the friend groups that I tend to do that kind of thing with. As for video games, Zelda is kind of my my longtime love. Uh, I've Honestly, I can't wait for Breath of the Wild 2. And even when Breath of the Wild 2 comes out, I'm probably still going to be playing Breath of the Wild 1. Uh, I've got a Master Mode save file that I've put God knows how many hours into. I'm kind of afraid to check. As for... I guess like more PC-esque games. Portal, Half-Life, some of the classics from Valve um, are great. I'll dabble with PvP shooters every once in a while. Star Wars Battlefront 2 is probably the game that I have put the most time into of any video game. And I'm talking like the old one, not the new EA one. Like the OG Battlefront 2. I was a menace on those servers as a child. Back then, when I was like little, I didn't really have any consoles. I just kind of had my PC. And I remember I bought Star Wars Battlefront 2 at the, at like the middle school book fair for 20 bucks. It was like a new release. And I was like, oh my God, this is the best thing in the world. And for probably five or six years, I didn't have a console. I remember I bought my first console for myself uh, in high school. So I just, I just played Star Wars Battlefront 2 for like, at, with that point, around a third of my life <laughs> at that age. So I was good at Star Wars Battlefront 2. I still play it today every once in a while just for a throwback still fun but i'll also play uh, as for some of the newer shooters i played overwatch for a bit overwatch is pretty fun apex PUBG, some of those other shooters that it really depends on if you can get a group together for when i can get a group together i like those otherwise i kind of like the more personal puzzly first person shooter explorery type things uh, firewatch was fantastic uh, but honestly if you had to sum up my my full play style i'd say somewhere between half-life and, and portal yeah, and then uh, as I alluded to, Ben also had a stint with MMOs in Star Wars The Old Republic. The two of us were uh, very heavily involved in that game. Uh, oh, some yeah. of our server bests for different different things and uh, spent Guild leaders. countless hours on that game too. Yeah. Oh, man. I actually I, I came across some old files from that game. Screenshots that I'd taken, videos that I'd screen capped. And man, we had some pretty dope stuff going on in that game. <laughs> we actually did an AP stats project in high school all around Star Wars Hill Republic. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Sirkovitz, hit us up. We can talk stats about a, a very different game. Uh, we actually, I think we still have those videos on YouTube too, by the way. Oh, we got to pull those up sometime. Speaking of Sirkovitz, he's got a last question here. Uh, he says, but seriously, you've been content creators for a year, give or take. Uh, and depending on which one of us is counting. I don't know. We, 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 I think we finally nailed it down. This has been a year. How did it impact our gameplay? Do we learn more from creating content and are able to become better players in result, or are we spending so much of our time thinking about the content that our gameplay suffers? Good question. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, this is a fantastic question, and I had to think about this one a little bit ahead of time to to really come up with an answer and not just babble here. But yeah, it it I'll, I'll start by saying it definitely did impact my gameplay mm-hmm. when we first started playing. Uh, sorry, when we first started doing the show, my average win rate was somewhere on like i said on average hovering somewhere around like 59 60 percent occasionally a bit higher occasionally a bit lower but that's about where it hovered and since the show started we've 
it's steadily dropped to the point where it's at like hovering around 50% now. And I don't know if that's because I have been putting more time into thinking about the content because I don't know that that's necessarily true. It might just be that other life stuff has also happened, you know, confounding variables and everything. Some other stuff is, has popped up and it was a bad year mentally and all that kind of stuff that that my game has suffered from that aspect of it. Might be that I got a little bit more burned out because we are constant like we don't we can't really take a break. Mm-hmm. Not to say that we can't. I mean, that sounds like we're, you know, slaves to ourselves or something. If we ever needed to, we would. Right. right. We really try our best not to. And we did. I mean, we did just last week, but we made up for it. Like we, we try our best not yeah. to, to miss a week because, you know, we have listeners like you who want to uh, want to hear what we have to say or want to just, you know, maybe we're helping you get through your week or something like that. I mean, any, any little any little reason uh, makes us want to keep doing it and not not skip a week. But I would say that my game has definitely suffered. I just don't know if it's really related to time spent thinking about the content. Yeah, I did do some thinking on my end for this question, too. I've definitely been playing more Magic. I think Arena is part of that. I don't know if I'm playing as much Magic as I could because it has been a pandemic and it's been like a rough year being a first-year teacher and all that good stuff. I think it's improved my gameplay in some ways because I've focused a little bit more on the things that we'd want to talk about on the show. I focused on archetypes more. I focused on theory more, especially trying to incorporate vector theory into my own gameplay, which I've actually found to be working. So more on that in the in an upcoming article. But I think I've also kind of taken, a, I've lost something too in that. I've lost the, uh, I don't want to say the, the, the pure fun of it anymore. It's not like I feel pressured to succeed or something. I'm still doing this because I have fun playing the game, right? But uh, if I'm not the consistently trophying or if I'm not, you know, reading the signals correctly if I'm not I think I might be pushing myself harder sometimes uh in that regard to uh perform almost not for myself or or anybody else necessarily but just kind of in general to kind of be on top of things this is kind of a weird answer it made sense in my head but I think because I've become more focused on gameplay I guess you could say it's improved myself in some areas and also hurt me in other areas yeah, I think that's very fair. One thing that I just was thinking of while you were talking that I didn't realize until I it just started clicking in my head was there was actually something that there is one one area very specifically that the podcast has helped me with, and that is prior to doing the show, I used to be nervous going into the beginning of every new format. Every single time I was nervous because I don't know the format and I was like, oh, I just got used to this last one. Now I don't know the new one and it's going to take me weeks of doing poorly to to figure out what I'm doing. I don't feel that way anymore. We we prep pretty heavily for the format breakdowns, and by then I'm ready to get in and jam some games. So, you know, that's a big bonus. I'll share one thing that I think has specifically hurt me, and I'm curious to see if this has happened to you too. Since doing the show, I don't remember card names as, as much. Oh, so true. I don't know if that's... I don't know if that's a function of... Like, I don't know if that has anything to do with the show. I, it might just mm. be a function of them printing more text on cards. We have to worry more about what the cards do than what they're called. But that's very true. Yeah. I, I have the same problem. I don't I hardly remember card names anymore. Now, I, I've actually been thinking about this and I pulled in a bit of my knowledge of like pedagogy. So when you're learning something new, for those that don't know, I'm a teacher. I, I did a master's on this. When you're learning something new, it's much easier to understand the function of something than the thing to call it. So, for example, when I'm teaching physics, 
I will often avoid using the name of a physics concept until I have already shown students what it is. For example, when working with energy, we build up the idea of certain types of energy, energy associated with motion, energy associated with a thing being stretched or pulled, and energy associated with a thing being lifted off of the surface of Earth, uh, in Newtonian stuff at least. So I do that long before I come up with the names, so to speak, for any of these things. Before I say kinetic or before I say gravitational potential, I make sure students know what those things are. So I think with cards, we know how cards work right? Functionally, we have a pretty good understanding. Like even just in this very episode, I think you, you said the one rare from the pack. It's a three mana three one. It involves returning itself from graveyard to hand. Do you remember what it was called? I don't. I, I actually do, but. <laughs> okay. Well, right, I think I do. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's yeah, Master well, of Death. Yeah. Okay. You, you're lucky this time. But anyway, it, it, this is an actual like principle of learning that it's much easier to remember the function of something and it's much easier to remember the name of something once you know the function of something so it kind of has to go in that order you have to know what a thing does how it works first and then you can name it but if you try to say the name of something first and then associate it with a, a concept that they're going after it's more just memorizing it's it's rote memorization and that's not really true learning so i think that's probably why i found it harder to remember card names i remember what cards are in the set uh, at any given time, I still feel like my knowledge of combat tricks, for example, is spot on. I don't think I have to walk through the names of every combat trick in my head. But for example, if there's one green left up, I'm thinking, okay, well, is it the one mana one that gains them life and then it gets plus X plus X where X is the amount of life they gained? Or is the one that gives it a counter and hex proof? Or is it maybe uh, some, I don't think I missed any, maybe something else. Adventurous impulse on turn one, who knows? But that type of thing, I think I've gotten much worse at. For example, I don't know if I could name half of my favorite cards from ZNR right now. <laughs> no, well, and the other thing, I mean, when it comes from like a, a moving from set to set perspective, we don't really have, or at least I don't have the bandwidth to, or I suppose you could say like the hard drive space to keep mm. track of the names from older sets. I, I yeah, have to focus on the tough. set that we're, that we're talking about now. Uh, and even then, a lot of times we are in the middle of an episode and like, I don't remember what that card name was. We just have to rattle off the text that it had. Uh, even for the current set. So I think there are a lot of confounding factors there, but you know, what you mentioned is, is definitely a contributing factor. I'm also much more of a visual learner. So I will like, I could still look at the art of a card and be like, Oh, that card does this and it costs this much mana. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. be able to do the same thing with the names. So anyway, uh, thanks for all your questions, people. That was fun. We got some really good ones in there and uh, get ready to start asking more listener questions next week. <laughs> We're going to need to create a new log, a new backlog for all those. And don't worry, we're not done. We've got some plans for this upcoming year. I mean, we made it one year. I think we can make it maybe two, perhaps, maybe maybe more. Who knows? Yeah, I think I think we can make it another year. I, I would I would like to think that the first year is the hardest, and it's only uphill from here. We shall see. Yeah. But you know that begs the question: what's coming next? So we've got a few things in in the backlog. We got a few ideas. We're not going to necessarily share all immediately right now, but of course. You know, the first thing, and this totally wasn't the last idea we came up with and we just bumped to the top of this list, uh, we want to improve the show in the second year. That That's... Oh, thank God. <laughs> that's something we want to make sure that we, we do. Uh, definitely don't want to stagnate, don't want to go backwards. Uh, we'd like to Speak improve... for yourself. I want to make the show work. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't even doubt that that's true in some capacity. <laughs> I want to make it weirder. At least. How about that's, that? that's fair. 
We also want a lot more guests. We mentioned that we've reached out to some folks that we haven't heard back from. It'd be cool to to be able to get some of them on and, and even some other folks we haven't thought about yet. Cool to just have more guests. I think we both enjoy that and, and the audience enjoys that as well. Uh, we really want to improve the Discord and do more with the Discord, make that more interactive, make it more involved and make people more enjoy being there more and enjoy their time on the Discord more. Definitely going to keep writing articles for Cardsphere as long as they'll have us doing that. And uh, mm-hmm. we are also planning to expand the Patreon benefits. We have quite a few ideas and we met with some of our patrons to our founders to uh, discuss some things that they would like to see and some suggestions that they might have. So we have some ideas coming up for the Patreon. We're also hoping to expand the YouTube at some point, uh, do more non-episode related content there. Um, I mentioned that idea I had about uh, going through my own draft logs and just trying to improve myself and hopefully that'll help others. Maybe just doing typical draft videos on there. Things of that nature, any maybe some other concepts we come up with, but uh, definitely want to expand the YouTube in this next year and possibly more streaming. That's been hard to keep an actual schedule on, but you know maybe we can do more of that. And again, we wanted to make sure that we mentioned the survey. Please, please, please fill it out. All of these things on what's coming next are just our thoughts on what you guys might like. Tell us. Tell us what you actually like and what you don't, and we can make sure to craft the show in such a way that it, it will benefit our fan base. Well, I think that about does it for us this week. Thank you all for an excellent year. Thank you for keeping us doing this and all your support. And and yeah, we really we just can't thank you enough. We're really excited for our second year and, and what's coming next. So keep an eye out on those giveaways. We've got, you know, just about 24 hours until that drops from when this episode is released. If you're not in the Discord already, check it out. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. If you're interested in supporting the show and getting more involved on the Patreon level, definitely check that out at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. And if you want to reach out to us on social media, you can find Ben at betafish one or myself at Rannick Alfredian. The show is at draft chaff pod. Thanks again, everybody. You're the best. So I thought long and hard about what to make the sign off for our one year anniversary spectacular. And by this point, you know, we've had a good week. We've had a bunch of giveaways. Tomorrow the winners will be announced. And I think this is a pretty great episode. This is a, an all-timer. This is a lot of fun. Some really great questions. And it got me thinking, well, for the last year, we kind of had a thing going. Like, you start off the episode, uh, and then I kind of wrap up the episode. So I was thinking just this once, the sign-off is yours. Oh, God. You're you telling you me that now at the end you of the show? The, you pick the topic. You, I put you on the spot. It could be anything you want. It's just what I do. It, something from Magic Twitter recently, some, something you saw, uh, a, th- a thing that's popped in your head. Uh, you're on the spot. What's our sign off? Uh, okay. I, I think I'm going to reverse it and put you back on the spot. My, I, oh my I'm God. curious. Okay. I'm curious. You've mentioned before you had, you had a, a brief stint where you were talking about this. Did you decide on a pet? Do you know what you're doing with your pet? Ooh, ooh, okay, okay, okay. First of all, this is a cop out. Just <laughs> oh, I'm well aware. Um, honestly, I've been thinking about it. So I'm moving apartments in about a month, which means that adopting something like a cat, which I was considering, might not be great because they like to kind of have habits and just transitioning any kind of, I guess, big mammal pet from one place to another can be messy. Uh, my brother and sister-in-law actually just adopted a dog, uh, and I finally met their dog. It is extremely cute. His name is Walnut, and I think he just got his cone off uh, like yesterday, so good for him. Uh, and get, getting some, some interaction with Walnut kind of reminded me, like, oh, yeah, having a pet is awesome. But also they were telling me, oh, yeah, he just, like, 
we can't get him to poop solid right now, <laughs> which has been a mess. <laughs> and I was like, mm, that's right. There are downsides to this too. So uh, it's nice having a brother with a with a dog because then you can just go and hang out with the dog for all the, you get all the fun of owning a dog without any of the mess. Yeah, it's like being uh, an uncle or a grandparent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I got to just you know give give Walnut a ton of treats. Uh, and you know he was playing with me, running around, asking for scratches, giving me the dog eyes, asking for steak, that kind of thing. Uh, and then, like my brother had to pick up all the poop <laughs> and, and, and take him for walks. And like this is awesome, this is great. So I think for now I'm gonna I'm gonna bask in that enjoyment and reevaluate once I've moved into my new apartment. I'm thinking I might start with something smaller. I'm thinking some plants. I think I might want to be a, a plant guy. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a green player at heart. We all know this, That's true. Uh, but I wouldn't necessarily say I have the greenest of thumbs in real life. Uh, I have been known while gardening to rip out things that I thought were weeds uh, that were not. But honestly, anything can be a weed, right? So yeah. I don't know. I think at some point the cat option might come back on the table, maybe dip into green white a little bit. But for now, I think I'll probably stay mono green. No, no, no. You could get a cat and dip into a green black. I think that still fits very, very fine. But like cat oven? Look, I'm going to get kicked out of my apartment <laughs> if I try some of that. <laughs> I would never condone animal abuse. That is not something I'm for. But uh, yeah, I mean, at least cats are a little more self-sufficient than dogs. Um, they kind of do what they want and just do their own thing. But that's cool. Yeah. Thanks for the update.